0: Five years ago, the idea of the TV being a targetable, measurable ad platform was science fiction. Today, Mountain is helping brands do that by turning the TV into a performance marketing machine. With Mountain, your ads reach millions of viewers via tens of thousands of customizable audience segments and get seen exclusively on premium streaming networks. That's high-impact ads served at the right time, right place, and to the right audience. And if that wasn't futuristic enough... Mountain then automatically optimizes your campaigns thousands of times a day to ensure you're always at peak performance. The future is now. Visit mountain.com to learn more. You're listening to the AW360 podcast from Advertising Week. In this episode, I speak with Sam Shaw, Strategy Director at Behavioral Insights Agency, Canvas 8. Sam and I discuss and demystify the industry and talk about why behavior and culture, not personal data, are the next big thing in marketing. I hope you enjoy this episode. Sam Shaw, welcome to the AW360 Podcast. I'm thrilled to have you on today. Thank you very much, Richard. I'm thrilled to be here as well. So you are strategy director at Canvas 8. Tell me, what is Canvas 8 and what do you guys do?
1: Yeah, so um, that's right. Uh, Canvas 8 is a strategic insight practice. Um, Kind of originated in London, but we now have offices in New York and LA as well. We specialize in understanding human behavior and culture. Um, and primarily that's helping teams inside other companies kind of understand people in the wider world, what they need, what they want, how those concepts are changing um, so that they can make things that people really want and ultimately try and stay successful. Um, you know, there's, there's like the often quoted statistic that 95% of new products fail. There's actually no empirical basis for that statistic. It's actually the the research suggests it's closer to 45%, but still, you know, one in two products failing is a, a huge gamble. And so we're just trying to, you know, increase the odds or increase the chances of success because ultimately, you know, the people making decisions in any business aren't the customer. And so there's that gap in understanding that we're trying to bridge. So when you say insight, what does that really mean? Give me an example. Yeah, sure. I mean, we think about it as kind of a revelation in, uh, you know, a real human problem that no one else is solving. You know, everyone has their own definition of insight. And so we just kind of have our own that we use Uh, to simplify that. You know, the most elegant way we would define it is a new and useful truth. So what we mean by that is new, you know, when we say something to our client, they need to have not heard it before um, or heard it not heard it before in this particular context. Um, If they've heard it before, it's not very valuable to them, nor does it give them a competitive edge. Um, So, you know, new to the context of of a particular problem that they're trying to solve. In terms of true, you know, it needs to obviously be evidenced, you know, in any kind of data that's possible or available. Gut instinct is a major driver still of a lot of boardrooms. uh, And there's a lot of truthiness in insight work, things that feel true. Um, But really, there is an important piece of due diligence to check our assumptions for bias and make make sure that the insights that we're basing our recommendations on are true. And then useful, you know, it needs to reveal an immediate opportunity for a client. You know, it needs to set up better decision making, ideally transformative actions. So suddenly, you know, there's this moment where teams who previously felt stuck feel like there's a way forward.
0: Interesting. And tell me, I've noticed a trend in our industry where I think as we rely less and less on personal data as we go along, we're starting to look more and more at behavior and larger than that, even culture as the go-to. Number one, why do you think that is? And and number two, how
1: much data is necessary to drive that, if any? Well, you know, a lot of, you know, I hear a lot actually, on, on, on the, the podcast, Richard, a lot of, talk about analytics and big data and quite complex mm-hmm. ways of thinking about data, you know, and that's a huge new player, you know, on this sort of general data scene, but, you know, we, we try and look at integrating many different methods together to understand human behavior, you know, relying on one single data set is, is incredibly dangerous and it can, you know, even dehumanize, uh, you know, the, the people that we're trying to understand or reduce our aperture on humanity. So, you know, if you're a, as a human being, humans rely on multiple data themselves to navigate the world, right? If I said to you, you know, you just have to get by using your sense of smell, you wouldn't get very far, you know, we use sound, vision, touch, smell, all these different data to help understand what we're doing and why we're doing it. Um, So like, if you have, I mean, there's a good anecdote from a customer experience uh, expert called Don Peppers. He he talks about, um, you know, a service company that is incredibly proud of their you know, robust testing and analytics culture. And they would A/B test everything, you know, promotions, marketing, service initiatives, uh, and so they had this goal of improving customer loyalty. And you know, through testing, that they found that the single most cost-efficient way to improve customer loyalty was to hide the cancel my subscription button on the website. You know, apparently, if you make it harder for people to cancel, you make them more loyal. The next test that they did was, you know, to make customers have to call in and speak to an agent in order to cancel, to try and you know, the agent would then try and persuade them not to cancel. You know, so on paper, you know, the management can see that the loyalty metrics might be going up, but in reality, um, loyalty is actually going down on the human dimension. So one method, one type of data is, is never enough. Data needs triangulation. And that's what we talk about in terms of looking at human behavior and culture, not just looking at a single source, but triangulating different sources. Uh, to explore what's really happening.
0: You know, you just described something I went through last week, which I find incredibly fascinating and it did not, I think hiding the uh, unsubscribe button and forcing me to call someone actually had the opposite effect. I was uh, more resolute than ever in my (laughs) endeavors to get away from that particular service. Do you ever find that there are inexplicable behaviors that sort of happen out of nowhere for no particular reason? that um, you then later find reason for?
1: Um, I think, yes, in the sense of uh, parts of human behavior can be very predictable and humans are very much uh, creatures of habit and routine. Uh, So a vast amount of, you know, what you do on a daily basis is quite predictable. Uh, There's research that showed the places that you tend to go to, you know, are quite predictable. Um, But then human beings have this, you know incessant capacity to do something unpredictable and that can come either from something inside of them but more often than not it comes from some external trigger or some you know external stimulus uh, that's happened and you know that can be on an individual level or on a societal level so you know th- back in 2016 all of our clients and agencies were rushing to us because um, suddenly they felt like they didn't understand what was going on around them, and that was when there was a lot of socio-political change in Europe and in, in the US. Uh, all the pollsters had, you know, certain types of data on it, but nobody really called it. You know, mm-hmm. suddenly the world seemed to be a different place, and, and you know, we we're all feeling like we we're in this metropolitan bubble. Maybe we don't really understand what's going on. So, I think the capacity for humans to um, do things that we hadn't anticipated or predicted is is uh, ceaseless.
0: And how has the events of the past two years, you know, with the pandemic and, you know, a lot of social unrest that happened about a year ago, you know, how, do, how has that impacted any of this, if at all?
1: Yeah, I mean, in some ways, I think, you know, the, the shift to working from home for those who have had the opportunity to participate in that, particularly knowledge workers, has been quite significant. Um, but also constrained to those that community and that kind of people. So we read actually a lot about it in the media, um, but it's because the media is also impacted by it. So there's a, a bit of a bias there, um, but it's certainly taken the edge off, you know, certain urban centres, and it's changing so many different dimensions of how we consume. You know, I was just reading the other day about how it's impacting the way that people eat. You know, breakfast is back on the menu for people. People who've otherwise grown up. Um, with their with their families at home, you know, whilst they've been going into the office five five days a week, uh, now have this new opportunity to kind of see their family grow, which is which is wonderful. So, there, there's a huge amount of change that's happened in the past two years, and, and seems to not stop. You know, with the outbreak of war in Europe, the first you know in in a long time, the the cost of living crisis and prices rising, there is this sort of general shift towards. The sense that everything around us is quite uncertain and you know it, it, for us in our industry that's that's something that is actually quite advantageous because you know we're in the business of, of trying to help reduce uncertainty and try and you know take advantage of unpredictability by ultimately rooting um you know our clients in a quick and up-to-date understanding of people's behavior now and how that's changed
0: you guys at, at Canvas 8 work with some massive global brands, among them Nike, Google, and one of my personal favorites, the Gates Foundation. Mm-hmm. Without necessarily picking one, could you give an example of how Canvas 8 works with a, a global brand like that? Just kind of you know an overview, 10,000-foot view, if you will.
1: Yeah, sure. So um, Canvas 8, is our kind of model is based around two components. We have this kind of always-on um, membership platform where every day we are literally publishing uh, new insights into people's changing relationship with the world. And it's very macro and we actually hire, you'll probably like this Richard, we hire a lot of journalists as well as researchers and strategists so that Mm -hmm. we're not just kind of boring clients to death with data and pie charts, but we're actually telling stories about what's happening in the world and how people are responding to changes. But aside from that, we have a pretty wild bunch of analysts who come from incredibly different backgrounds Uh, We've got anthropologists, political scientists, art history, sociology, psychology. Because we focus on human behavior and human culture, we have to take a sort of method neutral approach and try and understand humans from all of these different angles. Uh, And then beyond that, we have uh, a much wider network of of experts and subject matter uh, experts that we would bring in to, to provide particular context around either a culture or a sector. Uh, And so we can be doing many different things for our clients. We tend to work at the creative side of things. So it's more often than not new product development, new brand positioning, trying to find white space in the world. How can we use an understanding of what people need and how their needs are evolving to evolve as a company and make sure that we're always relevant.
0: You know, a lot of the big brands in the world have you know obvious direct competitors. And I think it's, it's, probably fairly common for them to only be really looking at their direct competitors. The flip side of that of course is there are companies who align themselves with you know both product you know service but also kind of the larger social good. Do you find that there are companies who are not looking broadly enough and just too narrow at for instance their own industry or their own direct competitors?
1: Yeah, definitely. I think You know, the world's most valuable companies today, Google, Amazon, Apple, et cetera, have completely nailed their peripheral vision. You know, they're in health, food, entertainment, media, transport, payments, and they're constantly, you know, expanding their peripheral vision. Uh, And so I think a lot of businesses get caught up in focusing on their immediate competitive set. Um, And that's an important part of being competitive, but it's not necessarily where you get new ideas about how to evolve and transform. So there was some research by KPMG and they found that actually about three and four CEOs are actively looking to disrupt their own sector, you know, but what does that actually mean? Like, how do you disrupt your own sector? Where, where do you start? Where do you look for that information? And a lot of people then default to say, Oh, well, this is all about technology. That's what's disrupting markets. But in reality, it's not about technology. What's disrupting markets is changes in human behavior. And so that's what we're trying to help companies understand is, is kind of organized around those human concepts and human expectations because you know every organization shares their customer with hundreds of other companies in different sectors and, and so if you think about what your business is about and if it's about trying to cultivate trust or desire or meaning or status those core human concepts you know other companies are also trying to do that and so if you think about how do you build trust how do you cultivate desire then you can look outside of your immediate competitive set The problem is there's no real tools that help you look at what does the future of trust look like? What does the future of desire or status look like? So that's what we do is try and bring those sectors together to help facilitate that kind of inspiration and, and allow companies to look beyond their competitive set to be innovative.
0: You know, it's interesting you bring that up. I was reading a thing fairly recently, and forgive me, I don't remember exactly who said this, but it was uh, someone who was running a gaming company. And they said, you know, they they asked the question, you know, how do you feel about your competitors? You know, your gaming company A, how do you feel about gaming company B and what they're doing? And the response surprised me. He said, you know, I don't look at gaming company B as a competitor as much as I look at Netflix as being a competitor because, you know, we have this battle for attention, we have this battle for time. And it was fascinating to sort of read the comments that, that kind of were associated with this particular statement because it, it really showed me that we as people really love to kind of pigeonhole these, these brands and these companies into the places we, we know of them most. So when, you know, Apple launches an Apple TV Plus and they get into different programming, we go, but you make computers. And it, it feels like it takes us so hmm. long To come around to accepting that they can also be a health brand, you know, that they can also be an entertainment brand. In terms of our own behavior, what causes that and what is a good path forward for a brand who's looking to really mix it up and get out of that hole that, you know, maybe they didn't even place themselves in, maybe we've placed them in it.
1: Yeah, it's a really good, it's a really good question. And, you know, I think the, the example of, uh, of the gaming company is, is great. I think, you know, human beings like to put things into boxes and categories because categories are kind of a heuristic that allow us to move through the world quickly. Uh, if we don't have things in categories, or if we have to constantly kind of regroup or recategorize things, we kind of get stuck. So the brain is constantly trying to shortcut. And I think industries just become another category, you know. We slot things into industries, both for ourselves and for our competition, etc. Human beings, you know, as commercial beings though, they don't tend to think, oh, that's Starbucks, that's a you know, a company that just sells coffee. You know, they'll walk in there and they'll experience Starbucks and they'll feel like it's premium. And because Starbucks has a very powerful brand, it can expand its remit and, its, and its, the quality of its brand can stretch into other domains naturally because it's so focused not just on selling coffee, but selling something that we can buy into that makes us feel good. So I think the, the strength of the brand, which is a long-term investment on cultivating an identity, it, the stronger the brand, the almost the broader the remit is for that brand to stretch into somewhere else. If you're very much focused just on something very narrow uh, and you're just focusing on what you sell, and you're not really investing in the brand, but you're investing more in short-term tactics, then you won't really have any room to grow.
0: And and looking ahead to, let's just say the remainder of this decade, how do you see behavior changing and marketing changing as a result? And I think in addition to that, Canvas 8's position within all of that.
1: Well, I think there's loads of different things happening. Um, I think Jeff Bezos was the one who said that a lot of people ask me what's gonna change in the next 10 years, um, but no one asks me what's not going to change. And you know, he built his whole business on very stable human concepts like the need for value for money and convenience. So I think i definitely start with things that won't change, you know, basic human needs, the need to belong, the need for status, et cetera. But then I think if we think about you know, the next decade We've got to then layer on these new contexts that will influence how people behave and what they want. There's loads of things. I'd say AI is a a massive, massive factor in terms of how people will be offloading decision-making and autonomy to machines and relying on machines to make decisions for them in all sorts of domains. But I think the biggest, single biggest context that's gonna change human behavior is climate change and sustainability. And, And I say that because the next decade is obviously a pivotal decade in terms of changing human behavior, but it's also not like anything we've ever seen in terms of the, the ask that it puts on the world in terms of what they need to be able to do. Most people in advanced economies, I think about, you know, four and five people in advanced economies say that they're willing to change how they live, how they work, how they spend in order to reduce the effects of climate change but you know, saying something in a survey is very different to actually making concrete changes. And there's a you know, well-proven well, well gap between what people say and what people actually do. So we have this massive psychological shift um, that we're about to sort of get to grips with. And how do we deal with that as human beings? And, and I guess as marketers, what are the consequences of that? You know, do we try and accelerate through it? Do we have to slow it down? Uh, Do we have to spend differently? You know, what responsibilities do marketers have in that respect? Because it's a wicked problem Um, because, you know, one marketer can't solve it alone. And so does it mean that we have to spend less or or buy different things that have less material impact? Possibly. Mm -hmm. Well, Sam Shaw, thank you for
0: being on the show today. This was most fascinating. I appreciate you taking the time. Where can people find out more about Canvas 8?
1: Uh, Canvas8.com is where we publish all of our information and insights.
0: Wonderful. Well, thank you for being on today.
1: Thank you so much, Richard.
0: Thanks for listening. For more content like this and to learn about Advertising Week's global event series for the advertising, marketing, and technology industries, visit www.advertisingweek.com and follow us on social media. For years, advertisers struggled to tie measurable outcomes to TV ads. Today, brands can measure their impact down to the last decimal. Mountain's self-serve connected TV marketing software provides real-time insights that can take the guesswork out of ad measurement. With Mountain, you can build customizable dashboards with the metrics that matter most and compare your campaigns to other channels with leading web analytics integrations. You can even track when viewers visit your website or make a purchase, regardless of what household device they use. Visit Mountain.com to learn more.